You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, it's Cooley and Kevin here on a Friday, and we're getting it done late today. We apologize for that, but I didn't want to do a show without my boy today, and he was busy, and I had things to do too. I'm not going to put it all on him, but you've got all weekend. you got tonight to consume this. You've got Saturday, Sunday, so we've given you all weekend to get caught up in, and much of Monday morning as well if you don't. Uh, if you don't get to it, but I, I want to do, I wanted to have Cooley on this week because we're a week, um, removed from the first round of the NFL draft, but we'll talk a lot of draft today with Cooley, but I actually have sort of a, um, uh, I have sort of two, what do you gots for you before we get started, uh, with, you know, football and the Redskins draft. My first, what do you got is on my way in here, um, just 20 minutes ago, I ate two Pop-Tarts, and I used to be the biggest Pop-Tart fan of all time. But over the last several years, I don't eat Pop-Tarts. You know, they actually are way too filled with sugar. They're not healthy for you. You know, we know all of that. But in my house, because you you know this, that I, I am basically feeding a, a house full of, of basically teenagers and adults, um, because I've got all three boys plus two girlfriends and a wife and two dogs in the house. And it's amazing the amount of food that we've been going through. But there's just always, especially my older son, like he orders from Peapod and it's like we get five half gallons of various ice creams. We get Pop-Tarts. We get every cereal in the book. I've been reintroduced to Captain Crunch, which is one of my favorites. And today, as I was coming back to the studio, as I was coming back to the studio, I noticed that uh, a delivery had been made and there were three different boxes of Pop-Tarts. Of course, the one that I it was my all-time favorite, the S'mores Pop-Tarts, were not an option. So I grabbed a, a little package of two, as you know. They're two per package of chocolate fudge Pop-Tarts and just ate both of those. And I don't feel well, but they taste great. What is your favorite Pop-Tart? Have you ever been a Pop-Tart guy? Yeah. Everyone was a Pop-Tart guy or girl. Do you get I them think. for your kids? On occasion, they make pop tart bites, so they're oh, fucking yeah. mini sized pop tarts. Uh, our kids really like those pop tart bites. They like the pop tarts too. I, I think I like just the strawberry ones. Strawberry. Oh, brown sugar. Brown sugar were my favorite. Brown sugar. The brown, the, top the, of the list. The brown sugar. Yeah, those had to be warmed up. Have to be those warmed up. About, those needed about thirty seconds in the microwave or a toaster or whatever. But the strawberry ones that didn't have to be warmed up. Frosted or unfrosted strawberry? There is no unfrosted. Yes, there is. There's only no. There. I mean, not for me. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm not a. If they're not frosted, I'm not doing it. So I um. I do like pop tarts. I don't buy them too often for my kids. My kids are. My son's obsessed. It's an addiction. A true addiction to donuts. He wakes up and wants donuts every day. And in this quarantine situation, we see my mom and Maddie's parents. And we've all been quarantined. By the way, I'm about over it. But her dad thinks it's hysterical to bring bags of donuts and sneak them to my son. And I guess that's what I I don't mind. Well, where are you getting getting the donuts? 
the gro- every grocery store is open, Kevin. Yeah, I understand that. So is Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' oh, Donuts is open too. Little chocolate covered donuts. Uh, like the brand. Hostess. Oh, the Hostess yeah. ones. The Hostess like chocolate covered over sort of that yellow cake donut. Those are pretty good. Yeah, haven't had those in those a long what, time. Maddie actually made homemade donuts today. They're good. You guys are made homemade donuts. You are making. There's, we have a little bit of time. Okay, there's there's a little bit of free time out there. Yeah, you were gotta, when you have something to do. When you FaceTimed me last week, you Maddie had just made, or maybe it was you. You guys had just made homemade ice cream. Oh yeah, that's not often. Yeah, that's impressive though. I mean, I, I haven't. I remember as a. I remember my father had sort of an ice cream maker. I've I haven't made ice cream or seen ice cream made homemade since I was maybe a teenager and uh, we've never we've never done it so do you have like what do you have like the dry ice and the the bucket with the the churner thing or whatever where you're turning it yeah that's what it is you just leave that churner thing in the freezer but then it takes up a ton of space in the freezer so I take it out but then you got to put it in the freezer for a while before I don't know man we don't make ice cream that often. We don't eat. You eat ice cream daily, so I don't eat it uh, daily. But I, I eat like it every other pie. day. Like if we if we're gonna have pie or something, we might have ice cream. We don't eat ice cream that often. I like ice cream. Ice cream is definitely my one um, more than anything else. The the sugar craving that I have more often, and I would say there's ice cream in my house almost all the time, and I am at least once. Not every other night, but once every three nights minimum. But I can go like a month without eating it. Like if I'm really focused and dialed in on not doing things like sodas and ice cream and not eating late like I was for about a month, the first month of this pandemic when I lost like 14 pounds. It was no sodas, no sugar really, no ice cream, no eating it late. But the last week I've, I've sort of regressed and hence the Pop-Tarts this afternoon. Well, as long as you don't do the month regression that you usually get into. <sighs> that can happen. So over this right now. When are we going to get back to normal? Uh, and what, And if my boys, my boys should have known better to order, you know, Pop-Tarts without ordering either the brown sugar cinnamon or the s'mores. I didn't have, I didn't have either one of those as an option. Um, so I, I, I think it's, I think it's July 1. I hope it's sooner than can that. I just, can I just Donald Trump it right now and throw out random non-scientific speculation and say, I, I think it's a full three-month deal. It's a three-month thing. And I think it, it pretty much gets, I think it pretty much gets back to normal by June, but I think by the 1st of July, unless it's a government facility. I think everyone, everyone just says, whatever, let's, let's go get it. If we're going to get it, we're going to get it. Will that require a Clorox injection? Yeah. So what you do, I think you just drink it, and then it pretty much just does a number on the lungs. I wanted to, um, before we get to the draft stuff, I was going to tell you about this Zabin poll that he put up um, this afternoon. It's it's funny because you know this. It's like all of us, many, t- a lot of us end up having sort of the same ideas for segments, you know, on the show. And... 
I've been meaning to get to a segment on the radio show for the last week based off of The Last Dance, the 10, you know, the 10 episode documentary. And the, and the question was going to be simply put, you know, on phone lines, um, if a 10 episode documentary was going to be made about a DC sports thing, event or whatever, what would it be? And my, when CJ and I were talking about it like a week ago, he's like, isn't just everybody going to say the RG3 thing? And, and, you know, early on during that RG3 thing, I said, that's going to be a 30 for 30 within five years. Like in 2014, 2013, we started, I said, he's going to be out of the league and it's going to be a 30 for 30, you know, soon enough. And, and I said, yeah, I think the majority of people will, will do that, but people will want to know about other things. Um, you know, uh, like what happened here last year with the Haskins thing or, you know, Spurrier's reign or what happened at the end of Marty Schottenheimer or, you know, there's a lot of different things. So this afternoon, Zabe put up a poll. Uh, today's poll question, the, uh, poll question of the day, what DC sports episode would you most want to have made into a multi-part documentary in which all of the secret, secrets were brought to the light? And he gave four options. Spurrier's two-year run, Michael Jordan as a wizard, the Sh- Mike Shanahan RG3 drama, or the Georgetown Hoyas of the 1980s. Those are four really good options. You only get four options on a Twitter poll. Those are four good ones. Well, right now, 55.2% of the answers runaway is Shanahan RG3 drama, which, of course, you lived through. Uh, as a player, and then, you know, in that last year, 2013, as your first year as a media member and as a broadcaster on radio, doing the show with with Zabe and with Galdi. And you, I mean, th- somebody's going to do that, right? That's either going to be a documentary or an e- E60, a 30 for 30. It's going to be, you know, the RG3 rise and fall is going to be a story. And who knows, maybe it's a rise, fall, and then rise again. You know, he's still in the NFL. Um, but it's going to be a story. Just give me one part of it that you that you would, if somebody were really doing their homework on this thing, they could come to you or any other player and ask. That would be really, really intriguing, and, and there'd be a compelling answer that nobody would know. Well, I think, to me, the most amazing thing about Robert was the lack of security that he felt when he was injured and Kirk played the Browns. And I, I've never seen a player do this. I, you and I have had this conversation, but I've, I've never seen a player do this. He wanted to play so bad. And I, I think he, one, he's competitive and wanted to play, but I just don't think he wanted Kirk to play. That after that Browns game, he, he was in every meeting doing rehab. And rehabbing through meetings. That guy, it's, you're, you can't just sit on a medicine ball in a rehab meeting doing all kinds of stuff. And he was so furious that Kirk got to run this special offense that he didn't get to run and that Kirk had the game that he had. And that was really the start of the downfall of it because, uh, honestly, had he taken another week, and I think we would have beat the – we played the Eagles next week. I think Kirk would have beat the Eagles next week he probably would have gotten back to somewhat normal physical ability. And 
then he wouldn't have had the next injury. He didn't need to play in that Eagles game. I'm sure everyone regrets that. Because you look back at the moment where he got hurt in the Seattle game and then he shouldn't have went back in the should have went back in the Eagles game. He wasn't ready to play. He was limping around. He couldn't move in that Eagles game. It was not the same guy. And because of that, he never recovered enough to play by the time we got to the playoffs. That should have been the game he sat. And if it wasn't just that one, it should have been the next one. But his obsession with that and, and with Kirk throughout all of it was really fascinating to me. It was. And then, honestly, and then to some extent, Kirk did the same thing with Colt McCoy later on. The way Robert treated Kirk, Kirk treated Colt. Oh, really? Almost like the way the Celtics treated the Pistons, the Pistons treated the Bulls. <laughs> really? Look, this isn't right, but now this is what we're going to do. Kirk had an animosity towards Colt. Everyone knew that. You're talking about 2014 when Kirk comes in for RG3, plays great against Jacksonville, plays great against Philadelphia in a loss, and then really starts to go downhill from there and had that terrible first half against the Titans when Colt came in, you know, through the hitch to Pierre. They win the game, and then he goes to Dallas and has one of the incredible all-time relief performances of all time or, you know, uh, uh, relief quarterback starting appearances, and they beat the Cowboys as a – 10-point underdog. Um, but so at that the, odd, the odd thing of all of this is, is I think a big part of the animosity in both those situations was that the other quarterback had won over the locker room more so. Mm, interesting. I, a lot of guys liked Robert as a rookie, but I think Kirk was kind of ho-hum, goofing around, having fun, ended up making a lot of good relationships. Surprisingly, it ended up being a little bit awkward, especially towards the end of his career, where then everyone gravitated towards Cole. So it wasn't necessarily just the playing time. It was, why does everybody in the locker room like this guy? I'm the starting quarterback. They should like me. Honestly, I, I like Kirk and Cole a lot, and so it, it, there's not a ton I, I want to discuss about why, but they weren't friends. Right. They, uh, they, they, weren't, they weren't close. And, and Kirk and Robert, that was well-known. All the way back to the comments that Robert was making in the preseason about the twos. About the what? Say that again. About the, the twos. The twos. Oh, the twos. Something after, yeah, right. yeah, after a preseason game where someone said, oh, yeah, the guys look good after. He said, yeah, that's the twos or something. I don't know. <laughs> he, said, he said it. Oh, my God. Well, you know. But yeah, the, that, was, that was just, it was amazing to me that a guy who's going to win rookie of the year or be in the top three for rookie of the year and it's having this astounding newfound football type of career is now so furious that the backup quarterback ran bootlegs. <laughs> but the thing was, was Cleveland was a four, three defense that we would have booted with Robert. It was a defense that was susceptible to boot. They gave up the edge very easily and they played a lot of quarters coverage in the back end, which is great to play action shot. So really it had nothing to do with Kirk running the special offense. It had as much to do with Cleveland. Well, that's I, I know you've told me that before, and that's so interesting. Um, I'll just never forget when he held that press conference after the game. He hadn't played in the game, and he was angry. He was not happy. The Redskins had put up, you know, 38. You guys put up 38 on the Browns. Kirk threw for 350 or whatever it was and a couple of touchdowns and – 
Um, it was one, it was a big time prolific offensive day, and more importantly, it was a must win to keep the playoff hopes, the playoff run going. Um, and you know, Kirk remembered come in against Baltimore when Robert had gotten hurt. The, you know, previously the previous week, won in overtime, and and won in overtime. Now that was set up by a you know a big punt return by um. Uh, what was the, uh, the what was the punt returner's name? Um, uh, Crawford, right? Richard Crawford. I think it was Richard Crawford. Uh, had the punt return that set up the field goal in overtime. But anyway, um, and then you know Mike has you know told has told the story with me on the air many times. Is that the owner prior to the game, Roberts running you know doing his pregame workout in Cleveland. And he's telling the owner, I'm, I can play. I'm ready to play. Go tell uh, Mike I'm ready to play. And Dan said to, uh, uh, Dan said to Mike, uh, Robert says he's ready to play. Let's play him. And Mike said, what are you talking about? The doctor has already ruled him out. We, we listen to the doctor in this situation. He's not playing today, no matter what he does. And this workout that he's doing before the game is ridiculous. And the owner then had a problem with Mike, and then Robert held his own press conference afterwards. You know, after every, you know, after the coach and the starting quarterback that that day had held his. Here comes Robert with his. I actually don't even remember the order. He may have been first for all I remember. And then all of the conversation leading up to the Philadelphia game was Mike telling the story of how, you know, Philadelphia was a team that they were going to run a bunch of zone read against. And that was going to be a part of the game plan. And Robert was hobbling around in practice and then hobbled around early in the game. And once they threatened to pull him, then all of a sudden he didn't hobble as much. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that was all. That was all interesting. He was hurt though. Oh, he was. He was definitely. He was definitely hurt. You know the Baltimore I, game. Back to that game. You know, Kirk didn't complete it. I don't think he completed a pass in overtime, but he did throw a big touchdown in the fourth quarter to get that game back into hand. And I think he had a sneak for a two point or a naked. He had, he had a, a naked. Yeah, he had, he had a quarterback draw. He had a touchdown pass to Garcon. Um, that, but yeah, we overcame a first and twenty or a second and twenty, he, like a big step back. Like I think it was Hankerson they had to catch. And then I remember that game really well. Well, we, he had a a third down conversion that he that he threw to Garcon or something. The, the he had a couple big plays in the fourth quarter to get it, to get that game back in hand. But it was the, the drive that Haloti Nada hurt Griffin on was the late final fourth quarter drive when we were down eight. Kurt came in with I you know I don't know it was under two minutes to go in that game to pick up the drive that Robert had started. And I do remember like a big third down maybe. And then he threw a touchdown to, to, to Pierre maybe, or Hankerson, I forget. And yeah, then Kirk came in for a play. Kirk came in for like a play and there was a DPI and then Robert came back in. Got it. Oh, that's right. Robert came pulled. back in. Robert did come right. back in. Right. By the way, right. without just came right back in. Without it, without saying he just, anything, he, yeah, he just he just put himself back in. Yes, which by I the way, looking around at like what the hell is going on? Well, here? that's when all the contra- controversy about, uh, you know, about Doctor Beanie. Why am I forgetting Doctor Doctor from Birmingham's name? 
the, the orthopedic surgeon, James, D- Doctor James Andrews. That's where you know uh, Shanahan claims that basically the doc gave him the go ahead to go back in. Um, you know, like it thumbs up or something like that. And the, and Dr. Andrews said, I don't think I did that, but Griffin didn't no. give anybody a chance. He just, he just went back in and told Kirk to get the hell out. He give him, there's no clearing a knee in after one play. Yeah, exactly. For one play and Robert went back in. He's not clearing him in one play. <laughs> and then Robert went through and ended up having a grounding or something and, and then they, we called timeout and put Kirk back in. Hold on. I just, as we were sitting here talking. Well, they left Robert in for a few plays. I just pulled up the box. I, I don't know. I, was, I got the play-by-play I right was, here. Here it is. You ready? Here's the play-by-play. Yeah. Um, okay. Griffin scrambles under two minutes to go. All right? Down 28 to 20. So we had the, we had the score right down eight. Robert Griffin scrambles left end for 13 yards, tackled by Haloti Nada, injured on the play. Redskins are forced to call a timeout after that, um, or they took a timeout because of the injury. Cousins comes in, and there's a defensive pass interference. It's a third and six that he comes in on with Griffin on the bench. Uh, Throws short to Garcon, pass interference, first down, and Griffin comes back in the game. Throws short to Moss for 15 yards. Throws incomplete to Garcon. Throws deep middle to Garcon for 22 yards down to the Baltimore 16-yard line. They're going no huddle, and Griffin is then injured during that next play on an incomplete pass. First, there's a holding on the play. I'm sorry, intentional grounding. That's right. Remember, he was about to go down, and he just grounded it. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, he was hurt. He was hurt. And so he comes out. It's first and 20 um, with 45 seconds to go. Kirk throws to Hankerson for 15 yards. And then on a third and five, throws a touchdown pass to Garcon. And then on a QB draw, two-point conversion, ties the game 28-28. The Redskins get the ball and the punt return here. Let's just see if it was Richard Crawford. Yeah, it was um, Richard Crawford. I remember that. It definitely was. Yeah, Richard Crawford's 64-yard punt return on a 56-yard punt down to the Baltimore. Because I think tw- after the game, Robert, Robert credited Richard Crawford for winning the game. Yeah. Richard Crawford and Robert were really good buddies. I do. Well, think Richard Crawford was, like was an SMU guy, right? He was. All right, but I think that Robert credited him for winning the game. Right. Yeah. When Kirk made those two big throws at the end of the game. Yeah. I would have known if I wasn't playing. But I remember it being this weird deal. And then we went and, and beat Cleveland, put up 38. And then that next game, Robert Robert was hurt. That next game against Philly. We played Philly the next game. Well, the the way the way Shanahan tells it is that in the practices leading up early that week, this is the story he told me years ago, and he's he's reiterated it a few times when he's been on. Whenever we've talked about it, I don't even know if it's been on the air. Um, he said the leading up to it, they cleared him. Remember, they cleared him. Which, by the way, you know, most people didn't think he should have been cleared for that Philadelphia game. Which was your point. Um, they're going through – you guys are going in practice, and Robert, before one of the practices, tells Kyle that we need to take zone read. We need to take, you know, um, the read option stuff. What, what did you guys call that? I forget what it was called. What was the – Yeah, pl- what did we 
the was, 50 series. Fi- the 50 series. Take the 50 series out. I can't run that. And they said to him, well, if you can't run that, we're going to have to pl- – Kirk's going to play. And then he got much better at running that. And then in the Cleveland game, there's a read option where he keeps it and he hobbles to the sideline. That's an image I'll never be able to shake. He hobbles to the sideline and gets out of bounds. And he says, I can't run it anymore. And they say, well, we're going to put Kirk in. And you better at least look like you can run it the rest of the way. This is is a key against them. And – and he did, and you know, you guys won the game. You actually played in that game. You had a catch in that game for eight yards. I'm looking at the box score right now. Uh, I'm them. That was my only catch of the year. Was it really? Yeah, and it was a lot of the young players because I had not played the previous year, and they all cheered for me when I came off on the sideline. <laughs> and then, he... by the way, it, we were also in this strange rotation where Sean was the tight ends coach, McVay, managing who went in and not, and. They were switching plays as I was running in, and Sean tried to get me off the field so Niall could go in. Oh, really? I was <laughs> not coming out for that. <laughs> I knew the play. I'm like, nah, I'm going to get one catch this year. And you did. Uh, and the rest is history. Um, the next week was the Dallas Sunday night game for the division. Morris rushes for 200 yards. Griffin rushes for 63 yards in that game on six carries. Only threw for 100 yards, nine for 18 um, but Rob Jackson was the hero of that game, uh, having that you know getting that late pick on Tony yeah. Romo, and then it was the playoff game. And you know that the, the funny thing is that playoff game alone, the Seattle playoff game alone, could be a thirty for thirty. You wouldn't even need like the rest of it could be its own thirty for thirty. The Seattle playoff game is truly one of the infamous games in Redskins history. You know, I I created this thing that eventually I'm going to get to, uh, you know, on the podcast or on the radio show, sort of a list of the most memorable Redskin games in history. And that Seattle playoff game is, you know, a top 10, top 15 all-time memorable Redskins game. You know, and what makes it so memorable is the fact that it really early on not only looked like the Redskins were going to destroy Seattle, you know, as we took a 14 to nothing lead in the first quarter, but that the Redskins in that moment were a legitimate threat to go deep into the postseason. You know, they were going to. They were going to take care of Seattle. They were going to play Atlanta the next week. They were not a juggernaut, the Falcons at all. Winnable game. The 49ers were the one seed, you know, and I don't think they were better than the 49ers, definitely. Um, but if Griffin's healthy, you know, that that may be the closest, and I know you would say maybe the Seattle game after the Tampa win, but offensively in 2012 with a healthy Griffin and early on in that Seattle game, he looked healthy. Um, that that would see that's as close to really making a super deep run as we've been. No, there's there's no doubt, and I think if Robert would have just that the Philly game, I he, think he would have been all right. It would have been better. All right. Yeah, I mean, you never know, Kev. You you never know exactly what it is, but it's just one of those things that it was funny to to watch that kind of unfold and. I like young players that want to play. I do, but Philly was like four and ten at that point. It was it was Nick Foles that was in, and, and, I mean, and we were going to we were, we were going to beat him. 
Yeah, Kirk proved the the week before that he, you guys could go, you know, and win a game against a bad team. By the way, just real quickly, and then we will get to the draft. I also want to get your thoughts on the, the Alex Smith stuff. Um, uh, well, by the way, go ahead. I was just going to say that that Seattle playoff game, you know, obviously the Robert injury was game-changing, but there's one play very early in that game that I think was the critical play of that game, and I think if it doesn't happen, the Redskins win going away. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, Russell Wilson scramble or something, a huge play that Wilson made, right? So 14 nothing. You know, Seattle Redskins touchdown drive, Seattle three and out punt, Redskins long touchdown drive, fourteen nothing, already into the second quarter, and it's th- you know third and twelve. They've yet to pick up a first down, and Russell Wilson scrambles a little bit and finds Zach Miller uh, for uh, a, th- a third and twelve conversion, and that. If not, they're punting to us again, and we got a chance to go up by three scores, which is really hard to overcome, you know, on the road. And they went down. They only got a field goal on that drive. They only got a field goal on that drive, but that was um, that was that was a critical play, critical play in the game. Anyway, uh, that would be a good thirty for thirty. That would be a good ten part documentary. Um, that would be the one thing in Redskins history or in DC sports history that I think would be fascinating to document because I know, and you don't you don't even have to say it. I know there would be a lot of stories that people haven't heard about some of the things that were going on that would be wildly entertaining and at the same time probably cringeworthy. Um, real quickly before we get to the Redskins draft, finally Trent Williams getting traded. I just think that he had that I'm not going to play for you mentality that you can't there's nothing you can do about it. There were ways for him to get around it. It wouldn't have been good for him. Really, Kev. It would have been just as bad for him to do that and sit another year. It would have hurt him tremendously. It's not the worst case. It's not the best case. It does seem like there was a little compromise. I do think in, in looking at it again, one of the big mistakes that was made was letting him and his agent go out and try to get the deal done for the team. Why? I, I think that was so weird. I don't know. I, I think the team should manage that entirely. Why do they need to go out and try to get a deal done? And then you got to come back over, come back in and take it over. And I, Trent Williams is worth a first rounder. Okay, what, we're, we've had this argument, you and I, ten times on whether or not we believe he was, they were offered a first. I don't. You do. No, um, no, it's not that I think they were offered. The, but there was. I saw something today that basically he had a meeting with Ron, and Ron has this prove yourself theory or mentality or motto, and Trent basically said, okay, I'm Trent Williams. Don't ask me to come in here and have a prove it year. Right. And prove myself. Trent Williams. So, look, you get a couple picks out of it. San Francisco wins that, in oh. my opinion, and I, I think they'll pay Trent and he'll stay. Trent, sta- uh, Trent San- wins. Uh, in the press conference. Trent wins, San Fran wins. Yeah, well, they win the deal. Now, if you're of the mindset that the Redskins needed to end this and just get something, well, then that's great. But in terms of just assessing objectively who got the better of the deal, getting Trent Williams at his age, all right, if he's healthy, 
for uh, a fifth rounder and next year's third is highway robbery. Now, on the contract thing, I thought this was interesting. This is what he said yesterday in his press conference in San Francisco. He said, as it relates to a possible contract extension, um, he said, quote, obviously there's an incentive for me to play well. They gave up a third rounder next year. They kind of invested in the deal as well. I think both parties are interested in something long term. I'm more than okay with kind of just getting my feet wet and just playing it out. Now, part of that, this is this is my belief, okay? My belief is what happened last Friday is that Laramie Tunsil negotiates the largest deal for an offensive lineman in NFL history. He gets $22 million a year, $50 million guaranteed, $66 million for three years. Negotiated it by himself, Cooley style, all right, which was fascinating, with Bill O'Brien. I mean, imagine what you could have gotten out of Bill, O'Bri- uh, uh, Bill O'Brien. Tunsil did damn well. And I think when he saw that contract, whatever he had been talking to Minnesota about, because there was there were reports that they were talking contract extension, and whatever he was talking to San Francisco about, and they have much less cap space, he said, you know what, maybe it's better if I take the $12.5 million this year and try to strike a Tunsil deal next offseason. Well, one, it is better. No, nothing's guaranteed, right? And for Trent, for Trent at this point, other than the $12 million, anything can happen. He could end up losing money. But still, it's $12 million that he's going to get this year. Yeah. $12 million. We're, we're going to put seven in our bank account after taxes. So to me, I'd look at that and just say, we're, I'm good. I'm good. I got, I got seven million bucks. I mean, let's invest this properly. We'll be fine. And anything after that, it would be gravy. So, yeah, I, I think there's, there's something to do with that. But honestly, if there was a real deal out there, I think he'd take it. Right now, if, if if there was a real tonsil type deal, I think he'd take it. There's not. Right. There's not. There's not a tonsil type deal. What I'm suggesting is maybe he thinks, and apparently he's in incredible shape and, inc- and incredible health. I'm just suggesting that maybe once he proves it to him through four or five games, you know, now, you know, in the middle of the season, he can strike a much bigger deal than he could right now. But keep in mind, he's proven it to Kyle Shanahan and Chris Furrister, who know Trent Williams. Yeah, I understand. He's proven it to two people who know him. So yeah, it might be two, three, four games. It might be through. Honestly, it might. It might be through training camp, and they they go, "Yep, you're you're the Trent we know. Let's get this thing taken care of." Because if it gets later in the season, do they really want? him to start getting frustrated with them. It'll, I'll bet it'll get done early. That's why I thought there should have been some contingency in it where you get a first if they get a deal done, or you get a second if they get a deal done. Right. thought they should have gotten a little more. Would have been a good idea to maybe throw in the direction of Kyle or Ron or somebody. Maybe they didn't think of uh, presenting it that way. All right, um, let's get to the draft. They did. They did? I'm sure they did. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's get to the draft and actually start with who they signed after the draft. 
What did you think of, I mean, I remember a little bit your evaluation, but ultimately is Thaddeus Moss a guy that makes this roster and fits with what you think they might be trying to do offensively? I think Thaddeus Moss was probably a guy who they saw as a tweener. They weren't exactly sure what he was as a receiver. They weren't exactly sure what he was as a tight end. He's probably a bring it in and see, can he block a little bit? Can we find a role for him? Because they're thin at the tight end position, I would assume that he would have a great opportunity to make this team. But I wasn't overwhelmed watching Thaddeus Moss's film with exactly what he was anywhere as a football player at LSU. Now, to some extent, that could be LSU didn't know exactly what they wanted to do with him, and they didn't play him like a tight end very often, and they didn't play him like a true receiver, and so maybe there just wasn't an answer for Moss in that system at that time. I, I liked him. I didn't necessarily see him like a lot of people did as the third to seventh best tight end in this draft. I, I just didn't think he fit my theory of a tight end at that spot. I like his size. I like his athleticism. I don't love anything about the potential to be a, a dom, dominant tight end. That doesn't mean... He can't be a good player. That doesn't mean he couldn't end up being a great tight end. I just didn't see it based on what he had on film at LSU. Um, Credit to you because when we did the podcast, the pre-draft podcast – you, I had said to you that Cole Komet's not, you know, mocked in anybody's first round. In fact, I've seen him mocked as late as like the Redskins pick in the third round. And you said, well, there's zero chance that he's going to be there for the Redskins pick. Uh, and I said, well, what will you commit to? And you, and, and, and you said no worse than, you know, early to mid second. And he went sort of early to mid second, um, to Chicago, the 11th pick in the second round, um, is where Cole Komet went. You know, and then the next one, what, what was interesting about the tight ends, Cooley, is a, the guy that, you know, we had talked about going back, you know, three, four months that some people thought would be the second best tight end. I don't think you felt this way. Troutman ended up being the fifth tight end taken. And Albert O, who you did like, ended up being the seventh tight end that was taken. The second. No, I, did, I didn't like Albert I didn't like Albert Oh, I thought you did like Albert O. Mm-mm. Your guy, I, Charlie I hate, Warner. Here, I hated watching. Yeah, yeah, I hated watching Albert O play. Hated it. He was soft. Charlie. Then, then I got that wrong. Charlie Warner, the guy that that was was the only the first guy picked in the draft on Saturday. That when you went online and you clicked on his name, didn't have an actual picture of him. Because they weren't expecting him to get drafted. He got selected in the sixth round. That was your guy in San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan and company saw something in Charlie Warner that you saw. Um, Devin Asiasi, uh, Asiasi, the guy that I actually, in, in terms of the tight ends, after Komet really liked, he was the second guy taken, um, and he was picked by the Patriots uh, in the third round. Um, I think you liked him too, right? Devin Asiasi was who I thought was the second best tight end in the draft. Yeah, I liked I liked him a lot. I think that Asiasi can be a pretty good player. He's got size at two fifty seven. I think he's like six three, six four. Pretty natural pass catcher. Um, I thought he had some good speed. He'll fit into their system. That was a really good pick for them. I liked Asiasi quite a bit. Um, 
The other guys I didn't necessarily love. I, I'm going to tell you right now that Charlie Warner is the next best player taken. Now, what's funny is I think he was, like, if you go through the tight ends, he was the 10th tight end taken. Most people had him in the 20s to 30s. Yeah. He got up to 10, drafted by the 49ers. They'll love him. He'll fit that system. He zone blocks like a maniac. He's not going to catch a lot of balls for them, obviously, with George Kittle there. But they're going to love him. That, that's great for him. Um, Troutman was interesting. He he played at Dayton. Who does Dayton play? And the film's so bad. And he at times he he runs spastically, really, really well. It's just some spastic running. So um, I don't know. It wasn't a great class. There'll be some guys that end up playing in the league, but. It was uh, pretty sparse. All right, let's talk about the, what the Redskins got. Um, we've heard your opinion many times that you know, on Chase Young, they did the right thing taking Chase Young. We both think he's going to be really impactful um, and maybe elite. I, I would, I'd be really disappointed if he isn't over the next you know decade. Uh, Antonio Gibson, your thoughts on him? He's your tight end. He's, your, he's, he's the H, he's he's an H back. The play him as an H back, or tight end, or another running back, or a fullback. He's not a running back, and he's not a wide receiver. He's an H back. I love him. I love Antonio Gibson. Amazing pick. I think it, Gibson out of Memphis was a guy that is a hybrid player, which is really weird because defensively you look at these hybrid players and you say like Isaiah Simmons, he's a hybrid that's the best thing we can have on defense right now as a hybrid. But on offense, when you have a hybrid type back or a slash type receiver, a slot guy, no one knows how to place him. At least, at least their value in the draft. I think Gibson could have went anywhere from late second, early third to late fourth. No, what is he? And to me, he's like that slash type of player that I would absolutely love to have on my team. He'll fit the needs that you have or that you got from a guy like Jordan Reed, or he'll be that Christian McCaffrey type of player where you can take your back out of the backfield or you have that unknown choice route runner who's in varied positions. He's explosive after the catch. You make big play after big play at Memphis. He's going to be a special player. I, I really am high on Antonio Gibson. Good pick. Um, That's a Kyle Smith pick all day right there, buddy. So... You know, I did ask Rivera the other day. I said, is he a wide receiver, running back, or H-back? And he said, well, tell me what's called. You know, he said, what's the play call? Um, it's interesting because Carolina's had a fullback on their roster during the Rivera era, and the Redskins don't have a fullback or an H-back on the roster. So it makes sense from that standpoint. They haven't added one, and this is what you think this is what they're envisioning for Gibson. Yeah, it's just that I don't know if Gibson is a fullback. Right. Right. You know, that's something that they didn't necessarily play him as. I don't know if he's a guy that will lead block the way you'd ask sure. a fullback in the NFL to lead block. He's essentially listed as, as weapon. But on, but, on, but on some boot action, he's out in the flat wide open. Oh, he can do he can do whatever you want him to do as a receiver. He, he's a really talented route runner. 
Gibson's he's a very good player. He's a he's the guy that you would say get the ball in his hand. Like, how do we get the ball in this guy's hand? Who cares what he is? Let's move him around. Let's create mismatches. Let's get matchups with him. And if they adjust defense the way we don't like it to Gibson, then we'll understand what they're running defensively. I think he's a guy that can play a ton this year. I think he's a guy that can make a big impact in your offense very early. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we got that from you. Um, Sadiq Charles, the fourth-round pick from LSU. I had this guy, Cole Kublik, who is great, by the way. You would love this guy. Stanford, Steve, and Scott, you know, both said to me, I don't know, it was a month ago we were talking, and they're like, have you had Cole Kublik on your show yet? And I'm like, no, who's that? And they said he works for the SEC Network. He's incredible as an analyst. He played at Auburn, really smart. He's, you know, an excellent draft analyst. And when they picked him, he texted me and he said, there's your starting left tackle if you can just keep him out of trouble because he's very immature. And it's apparently a little bit more than just maybe, you know, weed. You know, he apparently was always in Ed Orgeron's doghouse. But think of it this way. At LSU, if you're in someone's doghouse, you're in the coach's doghouse, usually they can just say goodbye to you because they got three others like you. He must have been really good for them to keep giving him chance after chance. What did you see from him on tape? He's got awesome feet. He's as athletic as it gets as a left tackle. To me, he's actually the closest thing you're going to get to Trent Williams on tape out of this draft. And To me, you look at a three-year starter at LSU who – it is an awesome football player. You just hope he matures. It's a lot of the weed stuff. It really is. And it's a, can you really trust this guy situation? And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And where they drafted him is a perfect fit because if it works out, and by the way, it should. You look at, to me, you look at a guy that can be a starting left tackle tomorrow for the Washington Redskins on the way to making a massive contract, likely within four years, and you would say, gee, like, we gotta we gotta have this guy roll. Hold on one sec, buddy. I got a kid in the room. Take your time. So yeah, Sadiq Charles should be able to figure it out if he cares about making money moving forward in his career. But athletically and skill set wise, he'll be able to do it and I also like when guys are forced into starting. I think he is going to be your starter. You're forcing him into it. There's a certain onus and a certain responsibility that he'll feel being in a new situation with a bunch of older guys. It should help him grow up pretty quick. And if it doesn't, you find out right now. But you took him in the fourth round, and he's a first, second-round talent if he's clean character-wise. Are you as excited about like that pick. Are you as excited about this Antonio Gandy-Golden as everybody else is? I... I love I love Gandy Golden, I, and it's funny because we just go through the Sadiq Charles character thing, and then you pick Gandy Golden thirty some picks later, and you get the pristine, perfect, smart kid, nerd, does all the Rubik's cube stuff, is brilliant. <laughs> but I like Sadiq or uh, Gandy Golden's ability to play receiver, and even though you only see see it at Liberty. He stepped up big in big games. I think he played big against Syracuse. He gets off the ball really well. He's physical. 
you put him wherever you want to put him. I think you can put him in a slot a lot. I think he can move him. He gives you some versatility. You yep, think good he, player there? You think it is? Uh, see, I was thinking when they were looking at a yep. receiver that it, that they, they were going to go for an outside guy, and it's six four two twenty five or whatever he is. That he's an outside guy. That Sims Juniors are, you know, is the is the guy that's going to be in a, in the slot. I think you can put Gandy Golden wherever you want to put him. I think you can put him in the slot if you want to. I don't see. I don't want to stereotype that position to say that position can't have size. You could put a six four tight end in the slot, and there's that's that's a benefit to that player. Sure. If you if you can move Jordan Reed in the slot, not just a tight end, man. He's he's special. If you can move Travis Kelsey and split him out at wide receiver, man, that's big time. Well, yeah, Gandy Golden's the guy that you're going to be able to line up everywhere. doesn't mean they're going to, but I just saw a guy that can do that. Do you, where does Kelvin Harmon fit into all of this? I think he fits in right now as a two-wide receiver who you want in the game because of his blocking skills as much as his receiving skills. He's got to become more friendly to the football He's got to make himself more available, more open as a route runner. I like Calvin Harmon a lot. I think he's a big physical kid. Uh, I just—he's got to step up, and it's, maybe it's a confidence, believe in yourself, completely thing. He'll be an interesting how is his off season kind of guy. Uh, the other four picks: Ishmael, Hudson, Curl, Smith, Williams. Uh, anything stand out among those four? Do you see a guy that's going to be on the final roster? a contributor at some point or not? Yeah, I think Ishmael's a guy that you're going to – you got another center guard that can play all those inside positions. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think he ends up starting. Hudson's a special teams guy. Curl's probably going to be a special teams guy who you can push and see if he can develop as a free. Uh, Williams, I don't know. He's kind of that, that edge player that – at NC State, that you're like, does he develop? They, they drafted a guy like last year at Oklahoma State, kind of that kind of deal. Oh, yeah, that guy. We'll find seventh out. Seventh round as well. Um, all Let's right. just take a shot. Was there anybody that you, as you were watching the draft, was on the board when their pick was coming up that you were hoping that they would pick? Any 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 name that sticks out that you wish they had gotten? I wish they would have gotten the tight end. Well, you don't have to answer if you don't have if you don't have an obvious answer. You... Charlie, Charlie Warner, yeah. Oh, I, Charlie I, Warner. I was hoping they, they would take Charlie Warner out of Georgia. I, I was truly, truly hoping. I, I think he's a starting tight end in the NFL. You going to watch this oh, Alex that, Smith documentary tonight or not? Probably not. Have you seen the pictures? I'm going to watch the Jordan stuff on Sunday. God, that's good. Isn't it good? Yeah, I've seen pictures. Oh, it's incredible. The Jordan stuff's incredible. Yeah, the Jordan thing is great. It's, What's your favorite part of the Jordan of, of the Last Dance so far? Because you're not a big hoops fan, but you were a big, you were a big. Uh, were you a Nuggets fan or a Jazz fan? I forget. I was a Jazz fan. I think my favorite part though is when Kenny Maine said, "If you touch, <laughs> sometime in the future, if you touch your phone in the right places, <laughs> a pizza will show up at your door." <laughs> it's a great ad. How did they do those? Those are the. Those are amazing. I know. Well, you can see the the you mouth know, the, the, the mouth moving about, in a weird way. The best, yeah. The best thing to me about the Jordan stuff was just 
how much of a badass competitor, want to win, don't give a care about anything else, know how good he is, push people. He's, he's amazing. And here's my other favorite part of this Jordan thing. Are we going to even debate who's the best player in the history of the NBA after this? Like maybe it was LeBron conversation. No, it's not. It's that whole. It's that whole. Who do you want on the court if you had to win a game? Pick one. I'd take Jordan and then Kobe. Yeah, they were. They're the killers. I, that to me, that that to me is Jordan's just. Jordan's just an absolute killer. You, you need him to score sixty. He'll score sixty. But I thought some of the Phil Jackson stuff was really, really fascinating as a head coach. And then you look at what Steve Steve Kerr has done and everything that he took almost exactly from Phil Jackson and some of the tribe mentality stuff that Jackson started to initiate into that locker room. The the fact that Jordan wasn't going to play for anybody but Phil Jackson. I mean, the love that they had for him as a coach after Jordan didn't want him to be the coach. Exactly. How about the fact that they hired so, Phil Jackson when Collins was Jordan's guy? That would never happen today. LeBron picks the coach. They would never hire a guy that LeBron didn't want. No. Never. Never, ever. It, I mean... It, it, the whole thing... The Dennis the Dennis Rodman to Vegas midseason vacation thing is just... You know, you, you mentioned Phil Jackson. To me... One of the most incredible parts of the of the two episodes from last week is to think about Dennis Rodman and how teetering on, you know, mental health issues he was and how lucky he was as a young person who had a very dysfunctional upbringing to get Chuck Daly and Phil Jackson as his professional head coaches, two people that really understood him. Um, not to mention he ended up on two iconic teams, you know, uh, because he's a great player, Cooley. Dennis Rodman's an all-time great player. As a, He's one of the greatest relentless energy rebounders ever. And, you know, Phil Jackson, in the middle of the season, brings Michael Jordan in to say, uh, Dennis wants to take some vacation time and he wants to go to Vegas. <laughs> It's hysterical. <laughs> and Jordan's like, he's not coming back. We can't let him go. He's Jordan, like, then, then, at that point, they don't involve Jerry Krause in that decision at no, all. Right. Phil Jackson goes to Michael Jordan instead of going to Krause. And Jordan basically plays GM at that point and says, no, we're, we can't do this. We're not going to get him back. But ultimately says, okay, but understand, he's not going to be back in 48 hours. That's not happening. And then he had to go get him out of his hotel room. But you know that – so it's really interesting, real quickly, and I forget if I mentioned this on the podcast yesterday or Tuesday, but um, on Monday I was like, is it clear that he went to Vegas to get him out of the hotel room where Carmen Electra was? And CJ's, No, I think he – No, no I'll, I'll, I don't think he did. No, he didn't, but but they they implied that he did. And then they right. came back the next day on Tuesday and said, and essentially admitted that they sort of misled. He was actually back from Vegas. He was at his apartment across the street from the United Center in Chicago. So Jordan went across the street to get him. 
You know, Jordan didn't right. get onto a plane and go out to, you know, Mandalay Bay or the Venetian uh, to, to yank him, or it would have, but what year was this, 97, 97, to the Mirage or the Flamingo Hilton to get him out of his hotel room and bring him back to Chicago. Um, but it, you're, you're right about Jackson, and it's, um, it's really interesting to see, you know, how much, especially at that level in that sport in particular, it's about relationships and the way you deal with players as much as it is, if not more so, than X's and O's. Even though the triangle offense in Tex Winter, you know, and Phil Jackson believing in it was essentially the reason he got the job, you know, when Collins was ousted. But really, Jackson was so much more than that. No, I, I think he was absolutely amazing, and in part because that was – he was a little wild. Right, exactly. And that was that was another cool part about why he understood Dennis Rodman, because I think Dennis reminded him of himself a little bit. I don't know. The whole thing's amazing. Um, you know, the other thing I was thinking about as I was watching this, and it's just a couple things. The, the time, the era difference that we're in right now. Like when Carmen Electra said, I really just thought they were on vacation. Right. I didn't know he had games. Today, she would have ten million tweets and Instagram messages and Snapchats and everything that would have been going on, saying like, "What are you doing? You're taking Dennis Rodman away from the Bulls. Why are you doing this? You guys are crazy!" Like everyone in Vegas is just partying. Most people in Vegas is like, "Oh yeah, hey Dennis Rodman. They must not have a game tonight." (laughs) No one knew Dennis Rodman wasn't supposed to be in Vegas. He just went and had a hell of a time. His little kamikaze song is funny too. He's he's all all around funny at that point. Some of his he looks bad now, but well, I mean, how about I it? that was really the, the 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 part of it, and and I forget who said this, um, and it may have been somebody who was a guest on my show earlier this week, but they said that what was so cool. Oh, it was Wilbon, I think. Wilbon said, "What's really cool is to see." You know, uh, Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson and, and and Dennis Rodman all watching the video of Jordan, you know, telling the story, you know, and they're all smiling and nodding and, you know, like, yep, that's what happened. And, yep. and what you've experienced, you know, on being, you know, being a part of a team and developing those relationships and that lifelong sort of connection in bond. And when it, when it sort of crosses over into sort of, you know, big audience sports fans or pop culture, it's really cool to see that, you know, watching that and watching these guys as older guys in their, you know, mid to upper fifties, you know, sitting there just nodding along and smiling and remembering it, you know, exactly as it happened. I mean, those are the, you know, I'm sure you with many of your teammates, college, pro, et cetera, that, you know, you get together at some point, you start telling those old stories, and it's kind of cool that you have that connection. No, it's amazing the connections that they have, but let's not forget that winning six championships didn't aid in those relationships. True, true. And and that spending a, a good part of a decade together, most of them, or a lot of them, didn't aid in those relationships. And also everyone coming in knowing who Mike was and always wanting to please him. And then, like, I didn't have that. Yeah, fair. I, I just, 
Yeah. I didn't, I would have loved that. I understand what that would be like. I never had that in sports. And so you do look at it and you would think how much fun that would be. They can do this with the Patriots 15 years from now and we can do Kenny Main advertisements <laughs> for that too at that point. And that'll, that'll be really, really good. But I didn't necessarily have that. So that was well, amazing. Well, um, the, the last thing I was going to say yeah. that I thought that I just, this would have, this was going to be my what do you got? <laughs> you just, and you had two, you only got to one start the show but um no i didn't i got to the i, I got to the zabe thing that's what the uh oh that was yeah. you just didn't introduce it to me as that oh uh, sorry i don't think that michael the path that michael jordan would have went on not not being on his varsity team as a sophomore would have made it hard for him to be at chapel hill like had he not went to howard garfinkel's five-star basketball camp he would have never been there and that that, that was a big part of it but not having the size not having the height, whatever it was, his first, his early in high school, the way recruiting changed and social media, like the social media thing and the recruiting aspect. Like they, North Carolina is getting commits that are in seventh grade right now. And it wouldn't have been Michael Jordan. Well, so now you're into an area that I really, really remember, you know, because Michael Jordan became an, a, a player at Carolina. He was an ACC player. Um, played Maryland two, three times every year, and I remember so many of those great games. Michael Jordan, by the time he was a senior, was a major recruit. You know, I mean, Patrick Ewing was the number one player in America, but Michael Jordan was like in the top five players. He played in one of the most famous Capital Classic games, which was the high school All-American game that was played at the Capital Center here in D.C., and it was the one of the top two or three games every year. We don't have it here anymore. But it was, you know, Patrick Ewing and Michael Jordan and um, – uh, there was another big name player uh, in that game that I'm that I'm forgetting. But anyway, Jordan, by the time he became a senior, was was one of the top recruits in the country. <laughs> so, the, it, no, I understand that. It's yeah. just funny, and maybe they would have bounced somebody else for Jordan at that time. But no one's offering senior scholarships. It's not it's not that often that your first offer comes your senior year. No, that's true. That's true. I mean, it, and, it's new. It's a new thing. And well, yeah, I mean, I, but back then you got you had kids. I mean, Damon Bailey, early to mid '80s or late '80s, Indiana was offered as a as an as an eighth grader, you know, by Bobby Knight. Um, so I mean, you had some of that, but yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting th- things of the first two nights of the of this documentary, and Doc pointed this out on his show, and I think it was so spot on is that you see Jordan riding around on a bicycle, you know, on Chapel Hill's mm-hmm. campus, and he played three years. He was three years in college at the University of North Carolina. And that bond that I was talking about... He was going to stay a fourth. Yeah, he was going to stay a fourth. And and the bond that I was talking about that, you know, you uh, very... Um, I, I think I, I think it's you're 100 percent right that you didn't have the same thing because you weren't playing with this superstar. Although I could bring it full circle and say you are going to be a part of the RG three thirty for thirty. You were a part of something that sort of crossed over in a major way. But um, but to watch Jordan as a college student and recognize the the experience that that is. You know, LeBron didn't get it. Kobe didn't get it. A lot of the one and doneers because they're essentially there for a semester. 
semester. And then the second semester, they're getting ready for the right. NBA draft. It's it's a it's I think it's so important to to um I think it's, it's it's people like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and the guys that go one and done they missed out on something you know that Jordan actually got to experience because you weren't in a one and done era back then and and it was just very very rare that you got high school straight to the NBA and you can see that he's part of the Carolina family like he is a North Carolina man you know and I think it's important, you know, in uh, to, to to his life. I think in in many ways. But anyway, I I think that that's um, the, the, I would agree. He had an experience that a lot of guys don't have now, um, which is. But they, I I think the where we've gotten is they can't have that experience anymore. No, they, they can't see past what they should be doing or what they think they should be doing, and and so it's it's impossible for them to go and enjoy school. Exactly. All right, I so know you, it won't ever happen again. I know you got to run. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I'll talk to you um, over the weekend or early next week. All right, buddy. Have a good one. All right, you too. All right, um, good to catch up with Cooley for over an hour uh, on a lot of different things. Um, just a reminder, and I mentioned this yesterday, if you are able to, and don't kill yourself trying to do this, but if it's easy on Apple or the podcast platform that you're listening on, to rate us and review us, and you haven't done that, um, do that. Uh, rate us really highly and write a nice short review of how much you like the podcast. That actually helps us from an ability to generate revenue um, advertising. So, again, don't kill yourself if it's easy. It's not available on every podcast platform. If it is available on the, on the podcast platform you're listening on and you can do that, uh, that would be helpful. Um, nothing else really. I mean, uh, Chris Thompson signed with Jacksonville. He's going to reunite with Jay Gruden down in Jacksonville. I thought the comments from John Wall yesterday on this All the Smoke podcast with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, where he said, I'm going to be better than I was before. And that's the scary part. They ain't even got the best of John Wall yet. I'm actually really, I think many of you know this, I'm, I'm a huge Redskin fan, I'm a huge Maryland basketball, Maryland football fan, but I love the Wizards and the Bullets and the history of it and going way back. I, I, I'm old enough to remember all the great Bullet teams and I really enjoyed there for a couple of years, Wall and Beal and, you know, Pierce and Ariza and, you know, Gortat and Nene and some of those teams and that seven-game series with Boston was phenomenal and I'd love to see them get back to that. And if John Wall really can come back physically better than ever, you know, to combine with a Bradley Beal who's been maturing, you know, as a scorer since John Wall's been out and an all-around player, I would be excited to see that. Is it is it championship caliber? No, but it's certainly playoff caliber. You know, it's certainly, you know, back to, to a, a level of being able to get to the postseason and you know, win a series or two. Um, I'll take that at this point with that franchise. Um, That's the one thing I'm missing. I'm really not missing sports and games right now. Uh, I'm really not. You know, the NHL playoffs would have been great. Obviously, I missed the tournament. The NBA playoffs not going on right now without the Wizards. I would have been watching it. Um, I would have been staying up and watching a lot of these games. I would have. Um, But uh, ultimately... um, I think one of the things we're learning from this uh, from this lockdown, from this stay-at-home stuff, 
is that we can live without sports. I don't think we could do it during the NFL season. I don't, um, but I think we can definitely do it this time of year. Uh, and I think we're learning that. By the way, real quickly, um, you know, uh, I saw this quote from Joe Buck on HBO Real Sports that he suggested basically that if games resume in the fall on time, hopefully they will, with no fans, um, that broadcast should use old crowd noise recordings. So when you're watching it on TV, even though the stadium's empty, you're hearing the same crowd noises as if they're a laugh track on a TV sitcom. I think that's a bad idea. I don't need that. You know, I've mentioned this before, I think, to Tommy. If you watch college football early Saturdays, you know, in the fall, 12 o'clock game or a Wednesday night game, you know, from from the MAC or a 12 noon game on Saturday from the AAC where it's Tulsa hosting SMU, you see plenty of games with barely anybody there, you know, barely a crowd. You know, I, I somebody called in this morning and had the idea of some sort of Zoom you know, answer to, you know, fans piping in 50,000 Zoom fans watching the game together and reacting together and piping that in to the stadium. I don't know if that can happen technologically speaking, but anyway, um, we got a long way to go between now and then who knows what this thing's going to look like uh, by the time we get there, but I would not be in favor of that necessarily. Also, one other thing, somebody um, sent me a tweet saying, hey, did you see after the draft the Redskins' win total went up to six from wherever it was? Where was it? Four and a half, five, five and a half? I can't even remember where it was. And that it's not the lowest in the league anymore. Jacksonville and Cincinnati both have lower over-under win totals in Vegas next year. Just so you know, it's not because of the results of the draft. That's not factored into the equation at all. What's factored into the equation is the action they're getting. It just means that the Redskins have had a ton of overaction. People have been playing the over, and so they've moved the number accordingly. And maybe there's been very sharp action on the Redskins over. I mentioned this to you. I like the Redskins winning more than it was four and a half, right? I think that's what it was four and a half or five. I liked the Redskins winning more, even though it was not my typical uh, typical contrarian answer. Um, so that that number moving has nothing to do with the draft. Zero to do with the draft. It has to do with where the action um, has been coming in. By the way, one other quick thing before we run for the day. Um, saw a story this afternoon. If college football is delayed and there's talk of college football not being played until next spring. Again, who the hell knows how this all unfolds. Um, But that the NFL would play games on Saturdays too. So keep that in mind, that if we get to fall and the NFL's playing and colleges aren't because students aren't back on campus, you would get the NFL to you know have part of their contingency plan to play a bunch of games on Saturday. All right, that's it for the day. Uh, Have a healthy, safe weekend, and I will talk to you on Monday.